I'm your all-American Russian. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone for being here. We have quite an incredible group, arguably probably one of the most incredible groups I've ever spoken in front of. And that's including NIH and all the other places I spoke to. I'm very, very grateful to everyone for being here. You guys are truly a remarkable, remarkable bunch of people, you know, in a sense that you're absolutely patriotic, amazing, accomplished. And each one, one, each and every one of you here has moved the world into a positive direction. So I'm honored to speak here in front of you and to welcome you in my home and to present two really fantastic, interesting individuals, Riley Perez and uh, Dr. Wright, for this discussion right at the brink of the election. We get together and uh, we're going to have a conversation about public safety, the way that we, the country is moving, what can be done, what's not being done, what's being done, and get just everybody's input on what's going on in the world. So without any further ado, I'll let our speakers take the stage, but I'd like again to thank each and every one of you to take the time out of your really busy schedules to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming up. So a couple of months back, well, in August, my book was released. And my book is What is Real? The Life and Crimes of Darnell Riley. So in the book, I discuss my day one of incarceration going forward. So to the reader, you're, you're treated with the view of incarceration from day one, this new society that I found myself involved in to where the rules of modern society that we all can agree upon, don't do this, do this, don't do that, all those rules out the window. You have to learn a whole new set of rules to survive. Um, so once the book was released, I wondered who was my congressman for my area I live in, the 33rd district. And I reached out to Dr. Wright, and I reached out to Ted Luke, the current congressman. Um, my point in reaching out was, I believe I had something to offer with my experience as a former inmate of having went through the prison system and me knowing what could be done to increase the odds that an, an ex-inmate won't become the new inmate 50 times over. So a couple of ideas that I had, I laid out when I reached out to both candidates. And uh, Dr. Wright was the one that responded. So in the response, well, I, I wind up in a, at another event where I actually was able to meet Dr. Wright. And I sent him off to uh, my book. I sent off my book to Ted Lu, and a basic breakdown of what I believe would, would work in, in the way of prison reform. So prison reform plays into public safety because I'd say about 60% of the population that's there will be coming out at some point. So who's going to be released? What have we done as a society, as a Department of Corrections, to ensure that this individual that's going to be released back into society has a chance to actually not commit another crime, not to be placed back inside because of a, a minor rule infraction that doesn't even exist as a ticket in, in regular society, but inmates 
that are paroled are placed on such restrictive rules that some of the rules defy logic even once you're out. So the focus of today's discussion, uh, as everyone sees, Ted Lou has not shown up. Um, so please, as we go forward, whatever photos you have and whatever that we discuss that stands out to you, um, please share it. Please share who you believe was here, who you believe added to the discussion. And um, I guess that's the best grounds, grassroots way you can have it. So I'm going to have Dr. Wright come up and give you a quick overview of his candidacy and his backstory. So I'm a pediatric ophthalmologist, which means I'm a pediatric eye surgeon. And um, I also do adults with crossed eye and double vision. They've had head trauma, for example, and they see double. And I've developed actually minimally invasive strabismus surgery. I write the major textbooks in my field. I don't, I'm not being to brag, but that's my background. I mean, I was not a politician in any way. Uh, I didn't even know who my congressman was. And uh, I got into it because I gave money to homeless veterans at a dinner at the Proud Bird Airport, Proud Bird restaurant by the airport. And I, they sat me with the Republicans. And for $200, I was at the VIP table. That's not bad. Oh, $200. <laughs> it's a lot more at the Beverly Hilton, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so they say to not me. Not for you, though. Not for me, yeah. of course. We tried to sneak in, but they, they, they found us. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm sitting there with the Republican hierarchy, and they say, just talking shop, and we're not going to run anybody against Ted Lieu. And that was in 2016 election. And I said, who's Ted Lieu? You dope. He's your congressman. You know? I don't know who he is. Virtually all in medicine. Well, you know what it's like. We, he's a doctor. We, we're all in medicine. So I looked him up. I never looked up a politician before, a congressman. I never looked up voting record. Anybody here look up voting record? One person, Laura Carroll. Most people don't look it up, and that's how they get away with it. That's how they get away with it. And by the way, he would not debate me in any of the debates in 2016 election or this election. None of the debates, and there weren't my debates, League of Women Voters, Palace Party Chamber of Commerce would not show up. So anyway, so I look him up, and oh my God, you know, even if you're a Democrat, I mean, how many think that socialism slash communism is good for America? I mean, if you've ever been to the Soviet Union or any, I was in Bulgaria when it was socialistic slash communistic, the doctor's cars wouldn't run. Everybody was poor. The only rich people was the Minister of Health. He was he had a flat and he had a driver. So if you're in the politics, if you're in office, yeah, you get taken care of. But people actually working don't. And so it's a he he wants socialism. It's not right. It's okay, okay. He wants socialism. He wants open borders. Imagine if we really had open borders. Oh my God, we'd have we already have millions. We'd have that'd be racing over the border. Look what's happening now. So I called the Republicans and I said, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Somebody's got to stand up for this guy. And they said, you can't win. Now, how many in here are successful because they go into battle thinking, I'm not going to try because I can't win? <laughs> so anyway, that really made me mad when he said, I'm not, we're not going to try and we're not going to send anybody. And I, and I said, look, you guys are nuts. You need to run somebody. You must have all these committees in the GOP. Can't you find one Yahoo to run? So guess who was the Yahoo? <laughs> they said, why don't you run as a joke? I hung the phone up on them. 
My son was in the Marine Corps, my dad in the Navy, and I said, I'll be damned if I'm going to let this SOB go unopposed. I knew I was going to lose. I had, I had no connections to anybody. And in fact, the GOP threw me under the bus because I called them out. They didn't like that. And when I ran in 2016, we got 34%. 34% is not bad. There's only 24% Republicans. 16% margin to win. So I'm ready again. <laughs> Last time, I had 100 supporters. That means we have emails back and forth. We now have 1,500. Last time, I had four Twitter followers. Laura, four Twitter followers. 35,000. So it's a whole different ballgame. We'll see what it does in translation. But um, when I found out about Riley, you know, I thought it was amazing. So I'm a little dyslexic, so I'm reading his book, and I've read about half of it. Amazing writer. It is a really nice book to read. He paints the picture, and you're there. It is amazing book, seriously. And he's not paying me any money. I already said I don't do quid pro quo. Okay? I'm not going to take any lobby money. I've already promised. But it is really, and I was surprised because, you know, I think he said, isn't they, you know, how could a writer? It's an amazing book. Really good book. Um, and so I have a question. You know, I, I'm a researcher. I've written 100 original articles. I write textbooks, so I research it. I was wondering what happens when you come out of jail or come out of prison. I went to Cleveland Clinic, and I was head of pediatric ophthalmology at Cleveland Clinic, very prestigious place. I came back three years later because my dad, Karen, my dad got sick, was dying. I came back for my dad. I was gone three years and I had to rebuild my practice. How the heck, if you're in jail for five years, you come out, you don't have uh, credit, you have a record, who's going to hire you? What the heck do you do? How do you even rent a house or rent an apartment? And then I found out, and I wanted your opinion. The statistic is one out of four, when they come out of prison, go on the streets. One out of four goes on the streets. What kind of deal is that? So my idea for homelessness, and I, want, I dovetail this into criminal reform, is that I think we should have a place for homeless people, but it shouldn't be in your backyard. The people in Venice who are very liberal, oh my god, they stood a standing ovation for me because I said, let's take Fort Lord in a beautiful Monterey and make it a township where people aren't making it. And maybe the last two years of your sentence, you work there and help people. And then you get you get uh, skills, and we'll pay them. So when they come out, the last two years they're not in prison. The last two years they're working in the township, helping people, getting skills, maybe plumbing, maybe contracting, maybe computer skills. And when they come out, we're going to write them a letter of recommendation because they worked two years in our, in our township. And before they leave, we're going to make sure they have a good, safe place, and they're going to have a job. So that way, they have a chance. Now, maybe it won't work for everybody, but at least they have a chance. What chance do you have when you come out and you tell me if I'm off base? But what chance would you have? I'm going to come back from the Cleveland Clinic and I restart my practice. I literally had an office in Ventura and one in Lancaster to get enough business. So I would like to know what your thought is about having a transition township where you could spend one or two years of your last two few years of the set, actually working, earning money, get a bank account, get skills, and then maybe by helping somebody, it makes you spiritually a little better. Yeah. Uh, it's a great idea, and it's a doable idea. And when we first started talking about putting together a roundtable discussion, one of the things that I was saying is that every thought that I have and I have thought out and mapped out, 
none of it requires any new laws. So it doesn't, this isn't going to be caught up in the legislator, state legislator, or wherever else. This is a, uh, the, the different rules that I, or the different ideas that I have, one of them as simple as, as you said, you were gone for three years, you come back, how do I restart my life? Okay. One thing that happens with an inmate when he's released is he doesn't have an identification card upon his release. And that's like one of the basic basics of walking around our society is you have an identification card of some kind. So the Department of Motor Vehicles is a state agency. So easily, 90 days prior to your release, that state agency could come into this other state agency and photograph everyone who's set to be released. Absolutely. I mean, it, it plays right into it plays right into any idea you have about um, uh, working in this township or any other type of pre-release job. None of those ideas require the state legislator to pass any new laws. These are a matter of uh, the Department of Correction who has the ability to classify an inmate who's two years from release as eligible to go work in this position or that position. So these don't require these measures don't require any new laws. These are just about whether or not a Department of Correction has the the fire band lit under their ass to actually do something. And I think that people ask me, well, what does the federal government have to do with this? Fort Ord is a federal facility. If we designate it, pass a bill that we're going to designate this as a transition, as a transition township a place for people who can't make it. If you have mental illness, you're on the street, that's wrong. We used to have Camarillo State Hospital, huge. It's gone. It's a college, it's a college now. Yeah, it's a college. <laughs> Unbelievable. I actually did a consult there. I, somebody had an eye problem. I don't know what I was doing there, but I, I did a consult there. It's huge. They're gone. And back in Israel, I said, when, you know, I, I have a fellow from Israel, and he's been moved for six months. He's got another couple months. He's learning my surgical techniques. And I said, what happens? Where do you guys do with homeless people? He says, they have these big township areas where they're taken care of. Some of them can be rehabilitated, maybe with you know, drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Some of them can, can learn a trade. But you know what? Some of them, if you ever look and talk to people on the street, some of them aren't there. I worked at LA County Hospital 10 years. Most of my patients were homeless. They come off the streets, go in the hospital, back and forth. Many of them had psychological disorders. They're not going to be able to hold a job down but the street shouldn't be their option. So the idea is the federal government can allocate abandoned bases. They're sitting there doing nothing. Also, so I, that's where the federal thing comes in. So I would enact a law that certain, as a pilot program, we're going to do Ford Order, whatever base, there's one in Orange County too, as a township for the homeless. And the other nice thing about that is that we cannot enforce vagrancy laws. Does anybody know why we cannot enforce vagrancy laws? It's not a moral issue. It's a legal issue, and it came out of LA count of LA City wiping out a a uh, shanty town for homeless people, and the ACLU sued the city, and the Ninth Circuit said that because there's no place to go, you can't take them off the street. But if you have a large township, I mean huge, now you have a place to go. So people say, well, how are you going to afford that? You know what Proposition H is? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Okay. Proposition H, one quarter percent tax sales tax. Imagine if you got 
one quarter percent of all transactions. <laughs> You'd be really rich, okay? $350 million a year, and they don't know what to do with the money. So it's not a money issue. And my, my idea would be you'd have a nonprofit. I have a nonprofit for unprivileged kids and for research and PDF companies. You have a nonprofit, and our uh, nonprofit, all the board of directors put money into it. So no board of directors take money. So they're in it for the right cause. And the board of directors runs it, and you have federal donation land, and you have a nonprofit run it. And you'll see a lot of people want to donate time to it. They'll want to, if you're a psychology major, maybe you want to do a semester on the, on the tech in the township. Um, so, you know, that's my idea. And I love the idea of transition coming out of prison. Yeah, and it, it's probably not right for, and you tell me, for all, for all the inmates, but I bet you there's a lot that have good heart. And if they had that transition time, it might change their life. For sure. Uh, having an option. Uh, having an option whereby you're not just tossed out into society after having spent your five-year sentence, ten-year sentence, and what are the options? Right. Okay. You, I'll give you an, an overview of what life looks like on day one of being released. So, whatever my family life was going in, you can imagine after incarceration, it's deteriorated. Whatever my financial situation was, after five, 10 years, it could not have gotten better. Um, so if I'm released, I'm given $200 gate money from the Department of Corrections. And in me in particular, I was released. So that's $200, that's all you got? That's it, yeah. Yeah, so I was released from a place in Tracy, California, and I was uh, taken by the Department of Corrections to the Greyhound bus station, and I had to pay for my own bus ticket back to LA, $40. I'm down to $160. Uh, I bought a Snicker bar and a, and a Coke. I'm down to $150. <laughs> you know, everything is chipping away. Uh, the bus was leaving real fast, so I couldn't get to a payphone. There aren't many payphones around anyway. So I'm on this bus, and I head on back to LA. Uh, I was able to borrow someone's cell phone on the bus ride, and I called my mom, and she says, yeah, your buddy's going to pick you up from the Greyhound down in downtown LA. And now, thankfully, I had family and friends support. But coming into downtown LA, I saw a war zone of homeless, and if I wanted, to, if I was a drug addict or had that issue, and I'd be released back into this, and I had little family support or whatever, that 150 that I had left would go right to the guy who's at the bus station, you know, looking to sell something. But I don't want to remove personal responsibility from it. So from a systemic standpoint, some people ask, do you think the system is set up sorry, for you to fail? Uh, from a systemic standpoint, I think the system is just so stupidly backwards that it hasn't had any motivation to change. And it's just one dumb idea stacked on top of the next dumb policy. And you look five steps further, and we're into a bigger stupid situation that's dealing with violent inmates whom are having to associate with this group, that group, for the means of survival. And this is one of the ideas that I had brought to 
Dr. Wright regarding um, if the Department of Corrections had the stomach, no new laws have to be changed. If the Department of Corrections had the stomach, they could actually end a lot of the gang violence, which is the big source of violence in the prison system. And I'll give you an overview, and this won't tip the this won't tip you off too much on my book. You'll still want to read it later. <laughs> For instance, if I'm if I'm incarcerated today, my ethnic background says that I would be associated with a group called the Others. We have a group called the Brothers, black inmates, white inmates. I've I haven't thrown any gang associations on anyone. Just because of your ethnic background, these are the groups you're going to have to be with. Um, and then we have Southern Mexicans and Northern Mexicans. And those are based on gang associations because they've had a 45-year war going on that the Department of Corrections has not tried to settle. So we have all these ethnic groups. You have guys coming from society into prison that were a part of gangs. And the gangs, the street gangs, come into prison, and now they have to associate with the ethnic groups that they're a part of. So the gang situation and the ethnic situation are interconnected. So I come into the Department of Corrections, and I'm now associated with the others, which means that guys that are uh, Asian, Pacific Islanders, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, uh, Israelis, Russians. They're all just uh, this co-op, uh, the United Nations of sort, because they don't fit into black, Caucasian, <coughs> American, white, or Mexican, northern or southern Mexican. So with that, it's about who's going to exert the most amount of power in the institution for what we now realize is for the control of the drugs that are coming in because it's a money-making venture. I'm going to be out of society, so how can I still generate funds? That's the biggest money-making venture in the Department of Corrections in the black market. And who's going to physically control from the standpoint of physical force on other guys who's going to control the prison so we can control everything else. So once I'm in prison, I'm now following, and then I had no gang association going in, I'm now following the rules of this guy who has an issue with this gang out in society, and they're two separate ethnic groups, but now it's become racial. Now my racial group has to abide by the rules of the gangs who make it racial. So one of the solutions that I had come up with that I mentioned to Dr. Wright is, there are over 35 prisons in California. And at any point, the Department of Corrections could easily say, these 10 prisons are gang-free zones, which it makes want to go there. You're not getting out early. You're not going to be doing anything beyond your sentence. But who wants to go there so they don't have to deal with the racial gang crap? You would find that those prisons would be busted at the scenes of guys wanting to go there to serve their time. So 
someone asked me, okay, well, are there programs for guys while you're in prison? There are programs, but you or I can't participate in these programs because I have a lot of buddies that went through the programs uh, to become a welder. That's not an easy job, and it takes about a good two years to become proficient, to get all the certifications to where you're not going to actually blow up something. So imagine if I had a four-year sentence, and it's going to take me two years of daily apprenticeship testing to get to a certification level where I can now go into a job site. But if out of every year there's a gang war on the yard that I'm on and we're locked down for two months stretches, three months stretches, I'll never be able to finish that program, plumbing program, that exists inside of prison, uh, electrical uh, construction trades where I could go in with four year sentence and I could come out with a certification of some kind. I could actually probably finish two of the certifications on top of going through an AA program if I had substance abuse issues. Those programs exist, but because of the deep gang entrenchment into the Department of Corrections that they have actually allowed to exist, there's a set of rules for society. There's a set of rules the Department of Corrections has. Then there are a set of rules that the inmates place on each other. And as an inmate, I got to follow those rules before I can follow the actual rules that are in the law books. So if those changes are, were implemented, and as I said, no new laws have to take place. This is a matter of state officials having the stomach to say, this makes sense. Let's try it out. Let's turn three of our prisons into gang-free zones and see how that plays out. You know, I'm not living in some fantasy world to think that that's going to solve all the violence. I'm still going to have issue with you because you wore sneakers today. And I said, let's wear boots. We're going to, we're going to, we're humans. We interact with each other. We're going to have issues, but the issues won't be in this deep gang and uh, entrenchment that uh, has so much history to it to where all of a sudden this guy's black, this guy's white. Now it's a racial thing. No, it'll be just whatever issue that I have with you as man to man. And that will exist till the end of time. So that, that is an issue that I, or a possible remedy to the gang violence that I had brought to Dr. Wright. With that, you have guys that can actually participate in programs, that can actually say, all right, I'm free from having to worry about all the gang crap. Uh, now let me just get my head straight so I can actually re-enter society with an opportunity. I have a trade of some kind, electrical, plumbing. Uh, I know guys that have moved out of state for various reasons after, re after being released that have uh, welding certifications. And you never think anything different. You never know that this guy ever spent time in prison because he used his skills and he already had made whatever transition mentally that he was walking away from crime. That's something you have to deal with on your own. Um, but he actually had a skill that, I know one guy in particular, it took him five years to get the certification. Not because he couldn't do it, his aptitude wasn't there. It's because of all the different lockdowns. So five years to get a certification that should have been accomplished in 18 months.
I brought it to Dr. Wright. I wanted to get his views and yeah, you guys can pepper us on the <laughs> no, I, I, I think I, I wanted to pose the question. Um, we have a private sector as well, right, in the prison um, system, right? You have um, private prisons. Private prisons, prisons yes. Um, built. So how would you, because I think these private prisons specialize in, in housing those that are less dangerous, I think. Right. So how do you, how would you not step in that industry? Or I guess yeah. So, so because the private they prisons, have some prisons that are that kind of touch on the reform you're talking about. Right. So the private prisons that exist are mainly for lower level inmates that are close to release. Um, so you, I've heard the conspiracy theories that uh, they're making money off the prisons. Okay. Well, the private prisons that exist are just housing because the state prisons are are. Jam plaque over ran, yeah. So it would take much longer to build a, a huge new prison with that can house four or five thousand inmates. So a bunch of private prisons that were uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, I think, in two thousand eight, he started sending inmates on an emergency basis to other states to be housed. So it's not that new laws were created that made it more strenuous on you not to steal a candy bar. That law already existed. You got caught. Okay, you're in prison. Now we're overcrowded. All right. So where can we house these guys? So I don't think it would, and any uh, any new measures would step on these. But in that housing um, form, do you think they have, or the housing prison, do you think they have programs that are geared to rehabilitating these um, inmates that are housed there, or they're just kind of being cattle there? What do you think? A large part of it is is all about maintaining security. It's not dealing with the actual underlying issues as to why the security is out of whack anyway. Uh, the biggest thing being the gangs. So it's, yeah, we'll maintain security. We'll just lock them down. All right, no one moves for the next. And they don't learn anything. And they, yeah, we come off a lockdown and we're still. A what do you think is going to happen if we had a township? And there would be supervision and there would be security. Could some of the inmates use that? year or two in the township as a tra transition, or you think it's a dumb idea? That's uh, a great idea, yeah. You think they're not going to be violent, or you think that if they're in a nurturing environment that they would sort of relax more? I'm thinking the township would be huge. There'd be a little farm on the township. Yeah. It, it, and that concept exists in different ways. And the last place I was located was in Tracy, California. It's one of the older prisons. It has its own water filtration plant. So guys are jockeying to try to get into that position because you're learning about water filtration. Yeah, they, they want, so they, they want to better. Yeah. See, that's they're, the thing. We don't, you know, they, they're humans, okay? Now, there's some that are probably criminally insane, okay? I, I used to work at LA County Hospital, and I had to go do eye consults in the area of criminally insane. Three doors, all locked. I mean, there's people that murdered lots of people in there. I mean, it, Right, we're not talking about those people. Right. No, we're talking a select group, and it would also help reduce the number of inmates, and would also be cost effective because I think you may know better than I do. I think it's seventy-five thousand dollars per inmate per year to house an inmate. To house an inmate, we have cost us the most than any other state, probably like three times. So we would actually save money, have a place, and it would reduce the crowding, and it might 
actually help somebody get ahead so when they come out, they're not going to go back, as you say, 50 times back to jail. That's what we want. The idea you have of the township is, as with this idea, no new law has to be created no. because the current laws that exist, the current regulations that exist, there are certain inmates because of their security level, they're allowed to participate in the uh, fire department, uh, uh, forestry department, fire division. And these inmates, those fire crews provide great service to California where they're constantly throughout the year clearing fire lines. I mean, you may have seen them and never thought nothing about it. is that an inmate or not. Uh, they have on fire gear. They look like firemen. They're doing the job of firemen. And they're being paid a dollar a day. I'm not sure the exact number. But it's allowing a guy who has 18 months left on a sentence to at least make some type of money to where when he comes out, he has some type of nest egg, as well as he has a skill. That's what I want to see. I want to see them to have a real nest egg. I want them to have $20,000, $30,000 in the bank. That's what I'm envisioning. Two years there, you're going to have $20,000 in the bank. Now you have a chance. But you put them out there without a chance, I'd be back and hitting people over the head. So, uh, but it's not so easy to build a township, is it? It's just like what I think of the inner city. And, uh, Pat Moore is African-American lady. We've become very good friends. And she was ex-council lady in Compton. I had her at my house a few times, and we've talked about it. You know, you think it helps the inner city giving food stamps and a few bucks, not even enough to buy a car, never enough to buy an apartment? Does it help? No. It actually incentivizes the wrong, the, the wrong thing. Is like, I'm going to have 10 kids so I get more welfare. You know, how about actually going in with security so the kids don't have to join a gang and go to high school? And how about opportunity education? What I'd love to see is a mentorship program. Okay? So you, my son, did, I have five kids. One of my sons did not do well in high school. Very active kid. Just didn't, we, we homeschooled him. Two hours a day, got A's and B's. Two hours. I said, what the heck did they do in high school all day long? Have him go to high school half a day, and the other half, you work with a plumber. So you work one-on-one, -on -one, and now you have a mentor. You work in my office as a doctor. See what a doctor does. And by the way, medicine has all sorts of things, from a nurse to technician. I mean, there's lots of jobs. Billing. Billing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's a real pain. So, but my point, you didn't get my point, is that have them get a mentor. I take fellows. I have a fellow from Israel. You know what he told me? He says, you know, I learned a lot about pediatric ophthalmology, but I learned how to be a doctor. What happens when the surgery doesn't work out? How do you how do you real, how do you relate to the patient? And the work ethic, somebody to look up to. I know I looked up to my mentors. So that's that's not existent. And so I talked to Pat about it. She goes, absolutely, that's what we need. And get the kids out and show them something else. But what's easier? Give them a few bucks, food stamps to turn your back, or actually go in and try to help, like Homeboys Industry with Father Craig. That works. I've, I've operated on two of them, two homeboys. They are so loyal to Father Greg. Right in the middle of the worst gang area. So, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of us think, oh, it's impossible. It's not impossible. But you got to try. And you're not going to get everybody. So I don't care. I mean, nothing's 100%. But we are not trying. And our politicians, I hate to say this, Ted, you they don't care. Uh, all they care about, <laughs> but no, all they care about is getting reelected, and the easiest way to do that. 
So anyway, I, I really, I, I, I really like the fact that I could talk to you because I had this idea and I said, am I just off base? Am I white privilege, you know? <laughs> white privilege. Dr. Wright, Dr. Wright, okay, Tuesday, you win the election. I don't know, I'm, I'm trying hard. Yes. Trying, I'm trying hard. Wednesday, how do you implement this amazing plan? Well, it's not that hard, I don't think, because I'm going to say I want a pilot program for homeless and people who can't make it, and I'm going to use federal land that's sitting there wasted and a few bucks to help build it out, and we'll have the inmates help build it out for that matter. And then we're going to have it run by a private organization. So it's a union between a nonprofit private organization and the federal government. Who would be against that? And all these crazy, who's in the entertainment industry? All the crazy celebrities looking for something to do with their money. That would be a good thing to do with their money. They could be part of the foundation. I don't know who's going to vote against that. So we do a pilot program in my business. I do, I, I've been in surgery, I do 10 cases and I look at how I do a pilot project. So we're gonna do a pilot project and, if it, and we're gonna learn how, we don't learn a lot from it. We're gonna make mistakes and we're gonna make things right. We learn it, we, we, we adjust it, and then we can replicate that throughout the United States. So I have, I have a question for both. So it's a federal issue because we need federal land. There's, there's a bit of a template in the federal system you know, there's a halfway house program in the federal system. Right. So you have a bit of a template, but you're talking about a much more expanded version. Exactly. On the state Why level, has that not been on the state level, though? So on the state level, the Department of Corrections moved away from uh, re-entry houses, I think. Right, right. They moved away from that in the 90s because of the increase in incarceration to where guys were doing, getting sentences. 40, 50, 60 years. Well, three strikes changed. Three strikes as well. So the amount of time that inmates were, guys were getting was so crazy that you didn't find too many people coming out. <laughs> crazy enough, right? right? So with that, I know in the last six years, uh, there's been more uh, openness on the part of, of the Board of Prison Terms to award parole to inmates that have a life sentence. So you think- but That's not the same one. Well, there's re-entry in yeah. the programs that former inmates that have life sentences have been mandated to go into these re-entry homes. So these re-entry homes, some of them are interconnected with AA type programs and all. So it still exists, it's just there hasn't been any, I guess, there hasn't been much interest in the part of the Department of Corrections to say, okay, anyone who's within two years of release, these are programs that we have available. That would reduce the population. That would also give me an incentive to start right. uh, another program or whatever it may be that gives me a, an opportunity, a chance, once I'm actually fully released. I and, and one more thing I like here. I don't see this as taking place of any of the federal 
No, but, the fe but even the but fence is bad because the fence only starts about six months before your release. Yeah. Right? And, that's not and, and it's minimal. So you, your thought my, my is My thought is much, two is years, and, and, and I'd have to ask <laughs> the experts, but I, I'm thinking two years before, right. I give them a salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a nice, a nice, it'll be a nice environment. People I would want to do that, so they're going to behave and try to you know, get into that program. But there may be other programs too. It's not. I don't want to take the place of, of other programs that are doing well. I just want, and let's see how it works. I would just, you know, I, why not? And, it, and it's not the money. Elliott County has so much money for homelessness, and it's right now corrupt. Pat Moore, who helps the homeless, that money is just dissipating. It's not going anywhere. And they're, you know what they want to do in LA City for the homeless situation? They want to do this quote bridge housing right next to where you're working two jobs to pay for your mortgage. You know, I'm in Venice. It's not exactly a conservative stronghold. And so Yolanda, who's a Hispanic conservative, and they all know she's a Republican because she's been on the city board and all this stuff. She goes, I want you to go to our Venice city meeting. They're not really a city, but they call it. So, and people in Venice love Venice. And I, you know, I'm not really that hot on Venice, but they love Venice. So I go to this thing, I think they're gonna, they're gonna spit on me. And Yolanda drags me to this thing. I go, uh, I have one minute. So I give her the microphone, I'm thinking, holy crap. And I go, I'm Dr. Ken Wright, running for the United States Congress. They clapped. So shocked. <laughs> then I said, I have a long-term solution to homelessness, and it's not in your backyard. They stood up and clapped. And afterwards, they came over to me and said, we need you. Because Garcetti is putting these buildings, and this guy said, they're going to put 50 or 100 people closer to the beach. And he says, I've worked 20 years to put a down payment on this place in Venice. And I said, you sound like a conservative. He goes, I guess I do. <laughs> Another gentleman showed me a picture he took of an encampment right by his house. He says, that's my house. He says, his words, they're making Venice a slum. And by the way, when those 50 units get filled up like that, guess what happens? You're going to have more homeless. It's ridiculous. Like they want to build them urinals. They stopped giving them sandwiches in Santa Monica. They ruined the park. The, the Santa Monica couldn't bring their kids to the park anymore. They still can't. They still can't. Thank you. No, let's have a township. So then we can enforce vagrancy laws because now we have a place. Got a huge township. So you're a homeless person. Look, I feel sorry. You know, find a shelter, family member. We have a township for you, but the street's not an option. How is the street an option? How did we get to the point where we think it's okay and we don't enforce vagrancy law? The stupid court, but you know, maybe the court's right. I mean, there's no place to go. We're gonna we're gonna have a place to go. That's what you in Israel, they've got a place to go. Now, they may, they, now, they may not like to go there, but they've got a place to go. I don't want to pay my taxes all the time. Okay. Yes. Hi, Dr. Red. Hi, Randy. So are there not enough shelters? Is that why? There's not enough shelters. There aren't enough shelters. Right. The shelters are actually full. There's, there's 40,000 homeless people in L.A. County. Right, but, but these are people who would go to a shelter if there were shelters available? Great question. So you know who Ted Hayes is? <clears throat> Ted Hayes is a homeless advocate. And we've become friends over the last three years. And so he was criticized. He, he did the Dome Village. Anybody know what the Dome Village is? So the Dome Village was a squid roll. Ted Hayes had this idea. HUD helped finance it. And he had these, looked like igloos. 
and there are strict schedules to get raw, and he had a township, a mini township for homeless people. It filled up, people loved to go in there. And so that thing got, and he had 13 years he had it, and then they increased his rent and more down. So he was criticized because he wants to do this township thing too. People aren't gonna to wanna to go there. So UCLA did a survey. 95% of the homeless people said, yes, I would go. They don't wanna be in the street. And by the way, once you have a place for them to go, it's not their option anymore, I'm sorry to say. Just like we don't have all the options in the world, right? We have to do stuff. You got to go to work. You got, you got to pay your taxes. I'm sorry, you can't put a tent, you know, in uh, Marina Del Rey right by my condo. I'm sorry, you can't. Imagine the audacity of somebody coming in and decide they're going to camp right where you're paying your mortgage. Mm -hmm. That's not fair for property owners or renters. Yeah, no, definitely not. It's not. But yeah. you would, um, you would have. Well, so I can understand that inmates. Who are looking to better their lives? That you know, single mothers with children, right. um, you know, people who are down on their luck, lost their job, whatever the case would be, thrilled to go to a place like that. But then you have people who are drug addicts. They're, you know, they're, right. they're you know, mentally ill and, right. you know, and, and, and quite honestly, a mess, you know, right. physically and. Well, what I'd really like to do is LA County Hospital, 600 beds is vacant. They built a new hospital right next to it. I worked there 10 years. I think that should be a triage area. So, yeah. so you figure out what their issue is. Mm -hmm. Some homeless people, a guy from Kansas wants to be a movie star. You know, he didn't get the role and he has no money. He needs a ticket back to Kansas. So we can figure out what their issue is. So I really would like to, as a doctor, is everybody's different. It's not like all homeless people are the same. So if we can make a diagnosis of what really the problem is, so maybe they know a rehab, then the township should be able to have an area for drug alcohol rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Dome Village had separate area for, for women, single single moms. They had an area for families. They had an area for single men. So you know, you, they, they had it parceled out and it wasn't huge. Imagine if you had um, an Air Force or uh, military base almost the size of San Francisco. I mean, you can do all that. You you're can saying, separate. You're saying there are decommissioned military bases. Absolutely. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, to answer a question, I work with a scared row population downtown, and uh, a lot of them don't want the structure. They don't want the curfew that comes with the LA mission. So, right. like, they have beds that be available a lot of the times, but it's like they want to be able to go in when they want to. Like, if I want to go in at 12 or 1, 2 in the morning, in the LA mission, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the housing won't let them do that. So. Yeah, they they rather just stay on the street. Well, that's where you enforce vagrancy laws, and I'm saying, you know, I'm sorry, you know, you you this is your freedom you want, but you know what? I don't have freedom. You know, I gotta go to work and I gotta pay my mortgage. Right. I gotta pay a heck of a lot of. We don't, everybody. Right, 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 there's gotta be some structure to life. You just can't do anything you want to do. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, why? You know, we gotta have some rules, and and they need to know that. And, and it's really tough love in a lot of ways because, as you know, and I've taken care of those patients. My first patient was Annie Wright. My name's Wright, um, who was a homeless lady, alcohol, alcoholic, and had pancreatitis from chronic alcoholism. But so I, have a, I have a heart for them. But the other hand, we need tough love. Those shanty towns are not safe for women. They're not safe if you're not real strong, and if you have mental illness, they take your stuff. Those guys are abused. I know they are, and so. Sorry, this shanty community is no longer going to exist here. Sorry, it's not going. Yes, sir. Uh, 
Oh, you're so up in arms. Are you kidding me? What are you going to do? You're going to attract more homeless people. It's one issue. The second issue is uh, midterm election. Uh, the previous congressman from this district, again, I can say socialist, but Democrat Waxman, <laughs> at least he knew the community. According mm -hmm. to my accent, I am not Israel. And I don't remember that the current congressman, during this period of time, uh, did, I couldn't say did anything, has any uh, conversation with this community, which is a big part of his constituents. Well, he's not Never. Yes, yeah, <laughs> never. And you know, uh, and. Uh, well, frankly, if you want to know the truth, uh, Ted Lieu, who's our congressman, put in an act for the VA uh, facility in Westwood, the, the Westwood VA uh, Leasing Act. Mm -hmm. And what he basically did was sold out the veterans because the in 1890 or so, the whole veterans grounds, well, I actually did a uh, part of my residency at the Wadsworth VA. All acres was a farm, and it was donated for a home for veterans. There's only like 400, 300 veterans there. Is he a veteran or no? Because yeah, he's a, he was a lawyer in the Air Force. I don't believe him though. He never saw any any that. He's a jack. He's a, he but my point is that they leased it out. They has an oil well on it. They leased it out to a private school, and that should be a place for homeless veterans. It's huge. Have you ever seen it? And if you know uh, Rosebrock, Robert Rosebrock, 50 consecutive Sundays he puts a flag there as he cries for the homeless veterans that are outside the walls <laughs> where they should be inside. So that's the congressman. And no offense to him, but he's a career politician. So I don't think, and that's not just him, I think a lot of them, they don't really care. So I can say, so he is actually documented when he was in um, college that he went into, to become, uh, into the military for the New Papers Law School. So it's documented. So. Anyway, I, I don't want really to talk bad about it, except the fact that our, all of our uh, representatives, most of our representatives, I don't think they really care. And you say, why do I care? I don't know why. Uh, I have a clinic for underprivileged kids every Friday. We have a foundation. Every Friday, you don't have money for your glasses, we buy them for you. And I, I, you know, I've always felt that if somebody's in, having a struggle, I want to help them. You know, and, and, it's just, and I bet most people in here feel that way. If I can help them, I will. And by the way, it's going to help us too. We're not going to have homeless anymore. Now, it's not easy, but you know what? Sometimes the answer is not easy. That doesn't mean it's not the right answer. We have a very complicated issue that I don't think the average citizen in the territory understands. I'm a pastor of a church, and my husband, he's an administrator. We work with um, homeless. We work with veterans that are homeless. We work with people that are addicted. We work with people that are just so broken from life. And so, you know, all of the above. Some people go into incarceration. Some people go into a spiritual incarceration where they're just stuck in their own microcosm of life. Um, I think the nonprofits that, that are trained in these areas, I've been doing ministry for 32 years. The odd thing is I had no experience with anybody coming out of jail. And that's the way I started doing ministry, was I would work with all these former gang leaders and these killers, and you know they were part of the church that I was in. 
And they would come into my office and talk to me, and I would pray with them and cry with them. And, and I thought, you know, there's, there's a Bible verse in the Old and the New Covenant that says love covers a multitude of sins. And they just need caring people that are available and willing to help them get through life's challenges. We don't have all the answers. We do food ministry every Wednesday. We're giving away food to veterans. We're giving away food to um, people that are out on parole. I had a call from a parole officer, and she asked me if it was okay to send a young man into our church. And she gave me a lot of information about him. And I said, oh, I'd love to work with him. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'll tell you later if you remember. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, people, you know, people in the church don't even know. He's actually got an ankle bracelet on. But you know what? This is one of the kindest, most precious people I've ever met. He actually learned a lot of good life lessons in prison. He's now married and has a baby. He's working at Wendy, so he's not making a lot of money. But you know what? He's doing, he's doing, he's, he's you know, living People need a chance. People need a chance. Exactly. And I was, my envision the township to be run by a private um, foundation with a heart. Right. No offense to, to government, but it's kind of, you know, yeah, hard. Kind of hard. And we could have a, a very spiritual atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It may evolve and change, but that's the idea. And, it, and, and it's not tried. I just say, let's try it. What do we have to lose? Right. Exactly. And the funds already exist. Funds exist. I mean, the money is not an issue. You've got the land. You've got $350 million a year, which LA does not know what to do with. But here's the issue. You have to win. I don't I don't want to uh, upset anybody here, but let me just tell you, nobody thought Trump could win. Yeah. No one except him. There's only one. Okay, so you can win. The, the, the issue is the other guy who's where he's not there. He probably he's like a Brad Sherman kind of guy. He's been around a long right. time. He wants to stay away. He's got no, nothing controversial. Right. You know, this so how do we get you in order for this to happen? Right. And you're an incredible young man. Absolutely. Like yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, will, we, will, we will work with you if you want to stay. Yeah, but uh, how do we get you elected? That's the thing. And what's your territory? Where's yeah. your district? Okay, well the district the district has been gerrymandered. You know, and I'll, I'll just define gerrymandering with this. We start in San Pedro. Oh, wow. <laughs> it goes all of Hal's Verdes, along the coast, Redondo Beach, Hermosa, Manhattan Beach. We have El Segundo, and then we have just a little bit around the airport, but the airport's not in. Playa del Rey, a little bit, and then it goes Marina del Rey, Venice, Santa Monica, and then it goes inland. Beverly, no, hold on, hold on. Brentwood, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, Hancock Park. But it then it also actually goes up north more. It goes to Palisades, Pacific Palisades, Malibu, Agoura Hills, Calabasas, and a little bit of Westlake. You forgot a little bit of Torrance. Oh yeah, a little and, bit of Torrance. And, oh, and Playa Vista. And Playa Vista. So it's but here's the thing, you know, I'm um, I'm not a political strategist, but what I think you have to do it really to win is you need some core money. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I raised $150,000. It was very hard to raise one because everything's going to lose. Who's going to get money to lose in campaign? My opponent has $2 million because he does favors. 
So I need to get more support from the Republicans, but they don't think you can win. I got 34%. That's not horrible. The next issue got. So if I get, let's say, I, I don't know, I want to, but if I do well now, I've had people tell me that then they would really support me next time. So I think what you do is you don't give up. You don't give up. And the other thing you do is targeted marketing. Yeah. So let's say you're Catholic. Ted loose for late-term abortion. So I send you, I find, I find out who in our district are Catholics or Orthodox Jews, because they feel the same way. And I say, your congressman believes in late-term abortion. And you show a picture, a, a video of what a late-term abortion is. You're not going to vote for him. But I've got to get to you. i got to get to the Orthodox Jews. i got to get to the... To the, to the evangelist Christians. Yes. And targeting is not easy. So that's what uh, Cambridge Analytica was. You ever heard of Cambridge Analytica? Yes. That's what Trump used. He could only afford it in like five states. They knew, and Cambridge knew the name of your dog. They knew if you were, if you were an Amorites person. So they would go to you and multiple times with those issues that you are in your heart. It's very expensive. I know how to do it because I don't know, I'm smart. But, but to do it is another story. To be able to go that, and that's why Facebook got in trouble, is they gave, they, they sold all your data to Cambridge. And that's where they got in trouble. Is they, it, all your intimate stuff, where you shop, what, you know, what underwear are you wearing? I mean, they knew, I'm telling you, I talked to the, I'm, I hired the Cambridge guys and then I fired them, but they knew, they told us, so we knew the name of your dog. Are you on social media? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So everyone here that wants this man to win, let's put him on our Facebook. Yeah, it's still time. Oh, yeah. It's still yeah. time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, get it out for social media. Thank you. Well, one quick question. So the reason that I invited both candidates was from the conversation we just had, you see where he stands on the issue. Wanted to see if Ted Blue, and if he opposed it, give me the reason behind it. And if your reason makes sense to me that Ted Lewis, you're the man for me on this issue. But unfortunately, he wasn't here like he wasn't to the last six debates. No, he, no debates. None of the debates. So he doesn't want to take a position beyond what we currently know. Well, he's also supporting the SARS score, which is interesting. Yes. He's for no one's rights. And it's yeah. interesting, yeah. Sharia law, Sharia and the semi-Jew hater. Because she was one of the heads and of And we had Politica, and I was sitting there, and Ramin uh, uh, took the bid, who asked him, yeah. would you please denounce Linda Sarsour? He's, on, he's on a panel, 100 people are there, and he would not denounce a bigot, anti-Semitic, Jew hater. She hates everyone. She, uh, and Sharia law, and he wouldn't denounce her. In fact, he gave her an award. And then a jury just put her on the Yeah, and jury. I will. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't. I'm not for boycotts, but I can't. Go, I, know, I can't I, go with them anymore. I'm sorry. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, I want to say this: that um, the book is really good. I'm not just saying because he's here. I was surprised. Got an inmate. Oh my God, you are there. It is exciting, and it tells. I always wonder what it was like, and it really tells you the truth what it's like. So I would say, you know, I, I recommend the book. Uh, absolutely. Good job. So, thank everyone for coming. Please post.
Post your experience, post your thoughts and questions, engage the community. And a link to your book. And you a link to my book. book. Yeah, we could have I just printed you, make sure to accept our release. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have the ability to sell the book, which, uh, but it's on Amazon, okay. uh, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores of preference. Okay. Support your Diesel books. Yes. Diesel books. Oh, yeah. Diesel books in Brentwood? Yes. Books too? Target books. Dr. Wright. Folks are asking how will they make donations to your campaign? Oh yeah. And what's the legal limit? Don't want to. Don't want to. Twenty-five. 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 Twenty